today on the show, I'm happy to have Victor Sowers. He's the founder and CEO of TKO Energy Capital. They provide the highest impartial third-party critical reviews in energy. You were just saying no more renewables. No more renewables. So we look at the whole industry, they're in the energy transition. And we look at what would be some of the blocking points of getting more renewables, energy storage, e-vehicles, like all the things that are popular topics underway. So what are the pitch points? That's the kind of things we look at. So we're investing a lot of money on infrastructure. There's a enormous amount of industry coming back to the U.S. So more load. So everybody wants to be connected to the grid. And so right now, to frame it up for the listening audience, they might be familiar in the energy space about a megawatt or in your home building, a kilowatt. So from a kilowatt to a megawatt is a thousand times multiple from a megawatt to a gigawatt is another thousand. And then from a megawatt to a gigawatt is another thousand. And then from a gigawatt to a terawatt is another thousand. So it gives you a huge amount of multiple. It gives you an idea when we talk about the grid. So when it comes to renewables, how much from a generation source, either wind or solar is available to interconnect. So in other words, if you have a car, is there enough room on the highway for you to get on? And right now it's crowded. So the wires, the overhead wires that everybody's seen around their neighborhood in the highway, that wire is crowded. And then the queue for renewables, solar and wind that we have about, and energy storage is about 1.6 terawatt. So that's 1,600 gigawatt, if anybody wants to look it up. So lots of permitting, lots of requests to interconnect, and it's aggravated by the by the Inflation Reduction Act, which even promoted more renewables, but when they made that law, that legislature didn't put anything for transmission. And that's what we need. We need more wire. The other part of it is when we do more infrastructure for renewables, we have to have substations and things of this nature. And within that little substation, and this is larger scale, people might be familiar with the listening audience about those little hands on telephone poles, transformers, and they might be familiar with the larger transformers within a substation. Within that metal casing, there's an element called silicon stainless steel, which we call electrified stainless steel. Guess what? The EV people use the same steel and it's only 1% of production of all the steel made worldwide. So Right now, we're about two to three years behind schedule of getting more transformers for more infrastructure. And for EV vehicles, we're going to run out of capacity by 2025. So there's only five steel mills in the world that make that critical, very unique structure for silicon stainless steel. So we have much of roadblocks of how do we handle that? This, that's the challenge. What do we do about it? Right? As an investor or an interested parties, things of this nature, microgrid's really big. So it's a great time for companies to say, you know what, I offer energy savings for buildings, for neighborhoods, for manufacturing plants, and it does work. 2008, we all remember the 2008 recession. At the same token, they had a element called a commercial industrial standard for reduction of power for savings, LED lights, new HVAC systems, insulation, but at large commercial scale. It worked great. Our terawatt load for the U.S. stayed flat when we started ramping back up again, all up to 2019 pre-COVID. 
So you can imagine we, we increased GDP from 12 trillion to 18 trillion and the load stayed flat for the U.S. Would usually from decades and decades when GDP grew, so did our electrical load. Very interesting. So we, we almost doubled GDP, but our power was flat. That's because we got more efficient. Thank goodness. So we're in that scenario again. So we're looking at how do we put power closer to the load? Do we use solar? Do we use micro turbines? Do we use fuel cells? What do we do? And that's for grid power. That's for how do we offset that? Which might be an opportunity for a lot of developers in the real estate world, which we do about 4 billion square feet of commercial space every single year to say, you know what, maybe we need to find out how we can partially or fully self-generate. That's interesting, right? Because it takes about electrified transportation and the kind of renewables that we want to do, we have to increase the grid size by two and a half times. And that's about a trillion dollar a terawatt. So it's 2.5 terawatt. And that puts too much pressure on ratepayer. People will pay their electrical bill. It's way too much pressure, right? To you look at how do we self-generate? How do we become more efficient, but not lose the comfort of what we have? Either apartment complex, a hospital. Can you imagine in a hospital and you have to have nine degree temperature in a room? Not going to work so well, right? We have to look at where, how we handle going forward and especially on the EV vehicles. There's a lot of conversation going on. Should we use the EV route or hybrid version thereof? So for one, let's call it Tesla, Tesla Model D sedan, I can do eight hybrid vehicles for one full-blown EV vehicle, or for that matter, a Ford Lightning. I can do four other pickup trucks that are hybrid. So it does a couple of things. We look at from de-risking because we get a lot of analysis for utilities that buy a lot of vehicles or other service vehicles. And of course you can say Amazon's buying EV delivery vehicles, things of this nature, which is a challenge because UPS, Amazon, other large providers are talking to their grid people, their electrical grid people say, Hey, you know what? I need 300 megawatt. I was sorry, we can't do it. Versus if you have a hybrid vehicle, we can do, we can cut the emissions faster. So we have these emissions where we want to get down to low emissions within 30 years. How do we do that without burden? What makes prosperity, which is a very affordable power. Either you run a small company manufacturing or even your homestead, right? So those are the kind of things we look at. We don't want to be spending 30 cents a kilowatt hour for your homestead. That's crazy. That's not creating prosperity. When we look at that, those opportunities, and we want to reduce emissions quicker, and I have challenges of getting my electrified silicon stainless steel for my motors, not to mention other materials that are in short supply, where within just a year and a half from now, we're going to be stuck logistically for supply, not to mention the cost. Hybrid will get us faster. It should be an energy transition, not going from A to Z, but maybe A to D, right? Little steps at a time where the financial institutions can adjust to the transition and they have over the years. But right now, if you look at any reseller, let's call it auto, auto trader, we all know auto trader, we look for a used vehicle. Go ahead and do your analysis on a two-year-old electric vehicle, any of them. It's half price after two years. So if you pay a hundred grand 
and you have your test results now for 50 grand. That's not good. Why so, is that? And the reason is that underwriters say it's risky because the main component is the battery and you're selling to somebody in the used car market and they can't afford a replacement cost of 20, 30, 40 grand. They just can't because impact or the probability of them abandoning the debt is large. So you might have a warranty that has an eight-year warranty that a lot of the EV vehicles are saying is, hey, we got you covered for eight years. I said, yeah, but what is the actual? So all analysis done for so far, if I have a 300 mile range, it's really coming about 220 in actual driving. And depending where you are, if it's more congested, like the Northeast, very congested around New York or cities. But if you're in a wide open area, like Texas, it's much, much lower. So what does that do to the battery? Is it really eight years or is it going to come in at six years or five years? And the vehicle has a degree of reliability to cover the debt. That's the way we think about the used car market. And the used car market is five times bigger than the new car market. There's a lot of money, right? So it has to be a really symbiotic transition as we move forward where the financial people, the technology, the grid, the EV side is all in one. Because one affects the other. Because we're fully electrified and let's say no more fossil fuels. Another issue is how do we pay for our food? Our food, case in point, natural gas, 25% of raw natural gas is used for fertilizer, which produces 50% of the food in the world. So in other words, if we no longer use synthetic fertilizer from natural gas, then how do we feed the other 4 billion people, right? Without increasing the cost of food and the scarcity of food. So our excitement for folks who are very interested in the technical energy space, the renewable space, EV vehicles, all these exciting items, there's a domino effect that goes either way. And really understand you, man, your hamburger now is now $25. The world in natural fertilizer can handle 4, million, 4 billion people. That's we're at 8 billion, right? So we have to do very extensive stimulation of artificial fertilizer to maintain our food production, what people enjoy. And there's a lot, even with the reduction in population, like for instance, China within the next 30 years will be down to about 800 million people just because it's, a, it's an old population and they don't have replacement, including the US. The US, we don't quite have replacement population at 2.2 babies per family. We don't have that anymore. That's what you yeah, need we had, to maintain. We had the big migration from Mexico, which held us over, but now we need another replacement. That's right. That's exactly right. And that's not just time, but also large population. Only population that's scheduled to grow up to 2000 and the next 60 years is India and US. That's it. Everybody else is decreasing, right? So when we look at that and we're forcing issue too quickly, what is harmed is the middle class and the working poor. And do we really want to do that? Right? Because that's the majority of the population, right? So our headwind going forward, how do we handle the stuff where other countries have come on board? Because if we just force the Paris Accord, if we just force renewables without looking at the side effect and not be do it holistically then we're going to harm the majority of population. And right, it's we're solving society. one problem and creating another and not thinking about the new problem we're creating. That's right. Now for 
for entrepreneurs, what about food production or think tank, right? Doesn't matter if you're 10 or a hundred, we need that energy. We need that energy of how to do microgrids. It's incomplete. How do we make buildings with the same comfort level where we can prosper, but half the energy? How do we do a smarter hybrid vehicle? Doesn't have to be a giant battery. A Tesla 100 kW, that's bigger than most commercial buildings. 100 kW, right? Much bigger. A house is like 2 kW. A commercial building is like 50 on up, right? Maybe 20 kW up to 100 kW. But you're driving around in your Tesla in a commercial building, right? That comes out of... We work with about 168 electrical co-ops here in the U.S. And every single leader, executive leader, says we can't afford to do our normal pay structure once if we have to do, let's say a 10 station charging station that can handle 10 EV vehicles. That's about 3.54 mega, megawatt. And that kind of load, because we want to use level three chargers with 350 KW, that's huge for a co-op. So they have to buy the, at the spot buy. So most of the executives are, are talking internally, how do we handle when we have to do a spot buy when we get four or five EV vehicles or all 10 in a charging location, how do we recover our cost? And they're looking at not charging it by KW or KWH, but by KW, $1 per KW. So if you go level three and you go in the full blown 350 of a level three charger, it's $350 as soon as you touch the vehicle with the plug instantaneously. Wow. That's what they're thinking. And they don't know when people are going to charge that vehicle outside of you're at a hotel or your home residence. And people say it's cheaper if I just do it at home at a level two charger, which is 220 volt. Right. That's true. But people in the neighborhood, you might see that little green box at some, that's in front of somebody's neighbor house. We all seen it, right? There's a little, that's a transformer that handles 10 homes typically at a time. If 10 homes had level two chargers, that transformer and the associated wiring up to the main grid couldn't handle it. So who pays for that? Let's say only five people want a level two charger and the other five don't want anything. They want ice motors, right? Who's going to pay for it? It's very expensive. So the saturation of when EVs come 2%, 5%, 30% saturation of operating vehicles, that becomes an issue because the luxury we have at such low penetration EV vehicles, it's not an issue the way we handle charging at home, or it's not an issue if we have to do fast chargers that are supported by the electrical utility, but it will be once you had a certain saturation rate. So, and the same token, when you have chargers, they will never be as reliable as like a substation. It's they're a giant, they're like armored tanks. They're, they're they have a high degree of reliability. Charging stations don't because they have a lot of power electronics. In other words, they have a mini computer and that's usually what goes bad is the mini computer. That's why a lot of people drive up, they find out the charger's not working. It's not because the connection's bad, it's because the internal components went bad, which is very typical. So as we try to do more smart grid, our failure rate goes up. So that's a kind of challenge, but also there's opportunity for entrepreneurs to find something more reliable of how do we handle EV charging at scale, be aware of when that saturation wet becomes a problem for a neighborhood, for utility, you know, where's the pain point, what have you, because that's going to be very helpful. 
we, re we really need a lot of smart people in transportation of how to handle that, much less talking about EV truck, 18 wheelers, right? That's huge, right? How many hybrid vehicles you can do for one Tesla semi truck, right? Probably 50 vehicles, right? The point is, if you go hybrid, you can get down lower emissions quicker, less energy from the power from the grid, which is coal, gas, a little renewable, but let's try to avoid that. The other thing is, is just cold weather. In the Southern parts, you get a huge swing in temperature. You can be in this, during this podcast at the recording this time, we're at 108 degrees in Austin, Texas. And two years ago, we were seven degrees in Austin, Texas, huge wild springs. And I guess what gets killed, the battery. It's amazing how many vehicles, including regular ICE vehicles, couldn't start. Or the EV vehicle, the charge dropped 50 to 60%. And you could have charged for five days. Because Central Texas was down for five days. The biggest opportunities for entrepreneurs. From what you're saying, I hear self-generating energy. So that means we need energy storage, number one. Number two, artificial fertilizer for creating enough food for the world. And third one I heard was optimizing hybrid vehicles so that they're more effective. Those are great areas to play with. They're large, scalable, but we need a lot of brain power. Either how we handle charging effectively that doesn't cause a co-op to go bankrupt. What people need to understand with electrical utilities, they only make 10% profit. Let's say they make 20% profit. They had a great quarter. They have to give 10% of that back. So if you have a podcast and you're really allowed to make 10% profit, how much fun is that? Not sustainable. Not sustainable. That's exactly right. And that's why we have guaranteed fees for revenue and debt for utilities. So it's always been that way. In return, we provide reliable power. But there is energy transition that people interested in starting companies that hand, like going into the energy transition and everything is associated with it, then understand all the domino effect, the holistic that if you do this and this is your space, what else are you going to affect? If I take away fossil fuel, what is it going to affect? Plastics, medical, food, right? That opens other avenues, right? There's a lot of fun stuff. So there is plenty of opportunity in a transition. It just needs a little more thought in it. Yeah. Victor, if our listeners wanted to learn more from you or reach out to your company, how could they do? So you can reach at, I think, uh, inquiries at Tico Energy Capital. That goes through, goes through my gatekeeper. Another one would be PKO Accounting at TKOenergyCapital.com. That's no way to get a hold of me eventually. So we'd be glad to have discussions. Well, we have discussions like this with uh, entrepreneurs. We have mentored 32 startup companies as well. People have worked with me for me for the last 20 years, 82% of the employees that left the company started their own company. Because part of the responsibility of being a business owner is you start mentoring the people who come in, who come on the company, that's responsibility. And there's some, I said, we put our effort to train this person. Now they're gonna leave to somebody else. They might. But we want to stream strong enough that they are not scared of being an entrepreneur. And when you're an entrepreneur and you have lots of clients, probably not going to fire all at the same time versus if you're a W2 employee working for GE, you might or might not. 
right? So you have better control of your life, right? So think about that. It's hard, but it's rewarding. And just think about your purposes. Is you, is you purpose for profit, which is important, kind of makes you sustainable. For us, it's about the relationship. It's about us mentoring our clients, mentoring startup companies, mentoring finance, have these kind of conversations. Because at the end of the day, I am responsible for other people's money, right? If and you treat people right, you treat your staff right, it just, it comes back to you tenfold. It does. And just think about it as, as these entrepreneurs bring on people or partners, know who they are. With my board, I think the youngest board member I've known is 10 years, more than that. So in other words, you have somebody come out there, really get to know that person. If they're going to be a board yeah. member, right? Or a partner, you really get to know them. What are their hobbies? What is their vision? What's their goal? What's their history? Typically humans, once we're in our late twenties and thirties and forties, we're pretty reputable. As old as I am, I still mountain bike race. So go figure. So little fun things like that. Yeah. Thank you, Victor, for coming on the show. And thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. Make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki with Cosmic Web Design and Development, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.